Welcome back to the Spirit and Truth Podcast. I'm Maggie Elmer, and on today's episode, Matt and I have the pleasure of sitting down and speaking with Dr. Steve Siemens. Dr. Siemens is a professor of Christian doctrine at Asbury Theological Seminary and one of the speakers at the upcoming Spirit and Truth Conference in Dayton, Ohio, March 9th through 11th. In this conversation, we discuss the importance of having an identity rooted in Christ and the profound healing nature of God's love. This was a great conversation, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Dr. Siemens, thank you so much for being with us. Hey, uh, Matt, it's it's great to be with you, and I'm really looking forward to the Spirit and Truth Conference, and I guess it's about two months or so away, isn't it? Just about or somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. And uh, you kind of, I, I didn't even know that you were coming last year, and you uh, came to the conference, and um, we were so grateful that you were Then you know, when I saw you, I just felt like the Spirit prompted me to say, hey, maybe maybe he could come and share next year. Um, and so I'm just really grateful. Um, so we're, we're glad that you had a good enough experience that you're willing to come back and actually speak with us. Well, actually, Matt, uh, the Lord really ministered to me deeply uh, at that conference, uh, particularly on a Saturday night uh, during that time of prayer uh, and uh, spoke, spoke something to me just a, a kind of a word that I really needed to hear uh, sort of hit me blindsided. It wasn't something I was expecting exactly, but it really, uh, for the rest of the year, uh, it was something I found myself living into because wow. uh, it applied to a lot of different areas of my life, you know? So anyway, uh, I would just say uh, to those of you that are thinking about coming to the uh, to the Spirit and Truth Conference, um, have already decided to come. Uh, come with expectation because I think you'll the Holy Spirit will meet you there in spirit and in truth. Amen. <laughs> well, amen. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And um, I have to tell you, it was just it, there was kind of a surreal moment for me. Um, I my my. MDiv was at Asbury, and I never lived on campus. I did it while I was working full time for different churches, and so. But my favorite class of time was with you, and it was an intensive class. It was a one week class, and um, but we didn't get a chance to really get to know each other or anything like that. But you really blessed my life because of the way you ministered to the students, and it was it was more than just content. I mean, it was spiritually formational. And so there was this moment at the Spirit and Truth Conference where I, I looked over and uh, one of the young women that works for our ministry and another one that we recently had hired for the church, uh, who are just two people that I'm just so grateful the Lord has brought into to our path and that we're kind of pouring into. And they were um, they were praying over you which was my you know my favorite <laughs> seminary professor it was just this weird <laughs> collision of worlds and I thought I just I honestly I got choked up in that moment I thought Lord what what an interesting I don't know how you arranged all of this but I'm grateful to be a part of it <laughs> <laughs> only Jesus <laughs> yeah it was a uh, yeah anyways grateful for that um so well, we're gonna have a conversation today we want to talk a little bit about just your work with pastors over the years and um, 
and really dive into some some topics that I think are near to your heart about how we serve in ministry. And this podcast just um, really goes out to folks who are uh, pastors and also just lay leaders and people who are actively serving in churches. Maybe you don't have official title, but really care church and are investing themselves in the local church. And um, and so we want to talk about how do we serve from a place of rooted identity and um, how do we kind of combat some of the performance tendencies that that come so naturally in our culture and and all of these kind of things. Um, before we get into that, um, I, I did, as I was reading your bio again in preparation for the conference and even this uh, conversation, Dr. Siemens, I just, it caught my attention again that you actually were of um, missionary parents and grew up in India, which I just, I don't know if I realized before. Would you mind uh, just sharing just a bit about that and maybe how that influenced uh, your life in ministry? Well, uh, my, my, actually, my grandfather was uh, radically converted at a camp meeting back around 1912 uh, in actually in Mount Vernon, Ohio. And he was a student at the University of Cincinnati at the time, a civil engineering guy. Anyway, he ended up uh, as a result of uh, the Lord kind of apprehending him and calling him to be a missionary in India. So in 1919, <laughs> if you can believe it or not, wow. he and his wife and my uncle, who was a three-year-old at the time, went out to, uh, left San Francisco and went to India. It took him three months to get there. But my dad was then born over there. And then he went back as a missionary after uh, nine, uh, after World War II. Uh, we were Methodist, under the Methodist church. And then, of course, I was born in India as a result of that. And I spent really most of the first uh, 13 years of my life in India. And uh, a number of those were, uh, I went to school at a real fine missionary boarding school in South India, uh, up, in the, up in the mountains, Cote Canal. Uh, so that really shaped my life. And so I, I consider myself a, th a third culture kid. Mm. I didn't know what that was for a long time until they started actually writing about that, how you kind of grow up in two cultures uh, and at the same time. And so that makes you third culture because you combine those two. And uh, that shapes the way you see the world. And um, uh, that was really a critical piece. And actually, though, um, another thing about my time in India, uh, it, I was really in, in my early 40s trying to raise teenagers uh, when um, uh, I got connected, actually, uh, to some of the childhood pain that I had experienced uh, really being sent away to boarding school uh, for those seven, eight, nine months out of the year. I was, I was 500 miles away from my parents. And I was seven years old when I was sent away. Uh, and um, it was a great school. And I'm glad my parents did. They did. It was the best option at the time. Uh, that's what all the other missionaries, but there was this deep, uh, ache of loneliness in my soul as a result of that. And I really think that uh, the reason I ended up, it was out of, out of the healing that the Lord did in my own heart at that time, when I was around 40, that I was actually led into, into healing ministry. Mm 
Oh, yeah. uh, you know, I'm convinced that until you get connected to your own suffering, mm-hmm. you really uh, won't be able to see or understand or connect much with the suffering of others. But when I did that and walked through that with the help of uh, a counselor, and I remember two seminary students praying for me at one point, and the Lord really broke open sort of a wall that I'd put around my heart, wow. you know, to kind of protect myself and from just the hurt and the loneliness, you know. Uh, um, I grew up in the late 60s, and I used to love listening to Simon and Garfunkel, and uh, they had this song, I'm a Rock. Uh, I'm an island for a rock feels no pain and an island never cries. Well, I think part of the reason I like that song so much is because it was me, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, out of that, uh, uh, that uh, the ministry of healing, I think that I've been engaged in and involved in really ever since then healing prayer. Uh, Yeah, I've been involved in that and written a book about that and another book that's going to come out actually this September, uh, it's a book about theological foundations for healing ministry, for people that are engaged in healing ministry, because uh, I've discovered and found that a lot of people that are, that pray for people in healing, they, they know some practical things about praying for healing, but they don't have a good theological framework wow. for the, their whole practice. And that really is important. Uh, for example, if you understand healing as primarily something that flows out of the love of God or the love of Christ, as opposed to healing as a, 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 a demonstration of power, uh, that'll change the way you do healing ministry and what you're looking for and what you want to see happen when you pray for people. So that's that's a you know that's a theological grounding that shapes your practice, which is something I've been. Uh, I've taught theology, uh, but I've really been interested in pastoral theology or practical theology. How does this shape and influence what we do? Yeah. That's a long answer to your question, Matt. <laughs> well, it's a fascinating answer. Can I, can I ask a question, Dr. Siemens? Sure. Um, so is there anything from your time in India that you would say growing up in your, you know, that really sort of has shaped your worldview on ministry? I mean, the way that you describe that third culture melding, it seems like that would be quite different, say, for instance, from someone who grew up in the United States and then went into ministry. Um, well, one one thing, you know, um, the, the Indian Asian, uh, Asian culture, Indian culture, uh, tends to be non-confrontive, mm. you know, uh, and you do things around the back door uh, where we in America tend to to think, you know, if you've got something, you go out, you know, you, you, you confront directly and we think that's the best way to do things. It's actually, isn't that more honest, et cetera, whatever. We have our reasons for doing that. And that's, that's fine. It's, it's cultural, but uh, you just that just doesn't get you very far. That's not very helpful when you're in an Asian culture. Now, the problem with that sometimes in the Asian culture is you kind of 
you know, you you don't want it's 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 shame, honor shame uh, as well. So you you know you don't want to shame people. You you know and uh, but I would just say that in for me, uh, I, 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 I mix those two together. I think I, I see the value of both in certain situations and in pastoral situations. And, in, and as a pastor for 11 years, and even in ministry, you, you have to sometimes, how am I going to deal with this conflict? What's, what's the best way to go about? Uh, is, is, do I need to confront or do I need to uh, figure out some other ways to try to resolve this, you know, et cetera. So that's one way that shaped me. Yeah. Thank you. How did yeah. you, um, how did you end up, you mentioned you were a pastor for 11 years and then uh, you ended up having and still have a long influence professor at Asbury Theological Seminary. Uh, how did that calling work in your life? how did you find yourself ending up in the academy side of, of ministry? Well, when I got to seminary, uh, uh, and I went to Asbury Seminary, and I, I just, I loved seminary. Uh, you know, I could, I could have stayed in seminary for the rest of my life in a way. You know, I just, I enjoyed the learning, and I, and I think that I had a kind of a, even before then, but what I would call a kind of an intellectual conversion, a desire to learn and to understand, and so seminary just really. And so I knew I wanted to do more schooling after seminary. I didn't really feel called to the academy. I didn't feel like I want to be a seminary professor. I just knew. So, uh, but I also knew I wanted to be in pastoral ministry because really through the influence of my father, who was a pastor for many years after he was, after he came back from India, uh, I was convinced that the local church is really where the rubber meets the road. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and I would say it's kind of like uh, a sem seminary professors are like co football coaches. Uh, this is a good time of year to be talking about that, I guess, with the Bengals winning last night, yeah, uh, uh, et cetera, and all the rest <laughs> of it we could talk about. Uh, but, but, you know, we're just, we're coaches, but we're not the, the, the game. Seminary just is learning the plays and, you know, the skills, et cetera, but the games played in the local church. Hmm. So I wanted, I knew I needed to be in the local church and, and serve as a pastor. And so for 11 years, I was in Southern New Jersey, uh, pastoring in United Methodist churches, but I was, I was also able uh, to, to go to school part-time at first at Princeton uh, and then it drew, and I, you know, and eventually got my PhD. But I was in full time ministry the whole time okay. that I was a, a PhD student. Uh, it was part time. I was a part time PhD student, and they worked that out. So, uh, but so that that's kind of how I was in both of those worlds. And I've always felt like uh, I've been called to be to have one foot in the academy and one foot in the church. Yeah. Uh, I remember one day going home. Uh, this was years ago when I was, I was teaching a course on Karl Barth, which is definitely the academy theological side of things. But I, I went home and I, I had two books that I was taking home with me. One was a part volume of Church Dogmatics, Karl Barth, but the other was Power Healing by John Wimber. 
Wow. <laughs> what a combo. And I thought to myself, you know, uh, what in the world do those two books have to do with each other? Oh and I said, for many people, they wouldn't, but they do. Yeah. You know, so, uh, so, so I've had that. And I love being a pastor. I really did. When I was a PhD student, I, I thought, I'm not sure I'll ever leave pastoral ministry, but I just know I'm supposed to be doing this. Yeah. I, I feel, you know, God's calling me to get this PhD. So I was doing that. So I love being a pastor. And, and I think, Matt, you know, you sensed that, that pastoral side of me when you're in the class. I, seminary, being a seminary professor gave me lots of chances to be a pastor. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say, as you were just saying a moment ago, you never, I can tell you as a former student, you never stop being a pastor. Yeah. Uh, because that's what I experienced in your class. I mean, I remember uh, during that intensive, you know, you would, you would start off the morning with a devotion and it would just kind of, as someone not expecting it, because I'd been in a lot of other classes that were not like this, I was kind of blindsided in a good way spiritually because all this found we were having this, some prayer exercise and you know healing stuff and i'm like what is happening and I, now, I'm, <laughs> now i'm i'm crying in my seminary class you know like what the, <laughs> the holy spirit just has come and you know is meeting us in this moment and i thought this is and actually i think the thing that struck me about it and this is why i love the heart that you just described is that you never lost sight uh, as a professor that the local church really is kind of that's that's where the rubber meets the road and and what you were doing in that place was not you're not just preparing people intellectually but you're preparing spiritual shepherds to go into the flock and lead right. lead people and they can't do that with just head knowledge you know they have to do that with an experiential um, sort of reality of God's love in their life yeah uh, well and having had I think the fact that uh, 11 years where I really was a full-time pastor, uh, you know, I, it, it, it caused me to stand that well. Yeah. Uh, so what would you say after, you know, you've, you've uh, ministered to pastors in this respect for a long time now. So you've prayed with a lot of ministry leaders over the years. Um, what what would you say? What are some of the most, if you had to just say, here's a couple of the most important things for ministry leaders um, to stay spiritually rooted as they're leading in the local church, whether a lay person or a, or a clergy person. Um, what are some of the themes that you've seen? And so I imagine some of that you've written extensively, you have some wonderful books. Mm -hmm. um, I'm imagining some of that has come out in there, but could you could you share that with the audience just a little bit of what it, what have you seen after all those years of praying with ministry leaders? Well, um, I, I came to the conclusion early as a pastor uh, and I, I learned this from Oswald Chambers in his my utmost from his highest. He, he, he says this again and again in, in that book, uh, uh, and I'm quoting him now, he says, the main thing uh, about Christianity is not the work we do, but the relationship we maintain. Hmm. And the atmosphere produced by that relationship. And then he says, that's the one thing God asks us to look after. 
and it's being continually assailed. Hmm. And so after four or five years in ministry, uh, I came to the conclusion that ministry, ultimately, the most important thing I had to do as a pastoral leader was to abide in Christ. And out of that, ministry would flow, you know. And, and so that's the hardest thing, I think, that one has to do. Yeah. And the thing that most pastors struggle with the most. And uh, in terms of pastoral identity, um, if you begin to try to do that, I think part of the reason we're performance oriented, we are, are, are we're finding our identity. I, I'll just talk personally here. The, the three things that I discovered about myself was uh, accomplishment, uh, acceptance, and acclaim. Mm. Those were the things that. I was using ministry to get yeah. uh, my identity. In other words, I was finding my identity in whether I felt like I was succeeding or accomplishing or approve, like getting the acceptance of people and then wanting to get people to sort of recognize, you know, a clap, you might say, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and so... I think what I what I see pastors doing a lot is they're looking to ministry to meet, in a sense, these these deep ego needs that they have. Yeah. Okay. And I think one of the reasons why COVID, for example, has been such a difficult thing for a lot of of, of pastoral leaders is all those things have been kind of blown out of the water. They can't get from ministry. They can't get their ego needs met anymore. So it's like, oh, you know, and yet what are you really in ministry for anyway? Yeah. So in a way, it's to me, it's been a good thing. It's exposed that, but it's it forces you to have to figure out, well, you know, what what's this really all about? And so I, I think on top of what I just said, um, I would say what I just heard was that ministry, it's not my ministry, it's my joining Jesus in his ongoing ministry. Amen. And so abiding in him so that he can abide in me becomes the critical thing. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, see, I see a lot of leaders getting into trouble. And I think we're all, we, we, frankly, I think we all do that. We all go into this, obviously genuinely called by Christ, but having a lot of motives that we're not even really aware of until we get into the practice of ministry. And then these things begin to get, we get confronted. I remember, I remember being in my office as a young pastor one day, and I felt like Jesus spoke to me and he said, Steve, what are you really in this for? Hmm. Uh, are you in this to build my kingdom or are you in this to help me build yours? Mm. You know, so that's the kind of thing uh, even I see pastors struggling with a lot, Matt. Uh, yeah. What would you say? Um, do you have any good ideas on 
helping some some diagnostic some self-diagnosis of this because i i'm just i now i'm speaking out of my own you know issues but i know i can deceive myself pretty easily you know and think no my motives are good you know like i'm i'm pretty good at justifying things and uh is there is there a way that ministry leaders how do, how do you kind of how do you drill down to really to get to the heart issues that you're describing and really see where your identity is is rooted well i i can sort of answer that i think i i would i would ask you you know first of all what is it that you get depressed about <laughs> i say depressed about you know i'm not about clinical depression here but just down about you know what is it that you get angry about mm. and thirdly what is it that you get anxious about now you know so oftentimes there's things in your ministry setting that are causing those things to happen you know for example in my own in, the, in my own case about my own need to be to uh, to uh, accomplish well when i when i was not accomplishing in ministry that is the church isn't growing or you know it's not meeting my 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 definition of what it's supposed to be doing as success then i would get down i'd get discouraged i'd feel like i basically i'm feeling like i'm a failure but um so you can if you start with those um, those emotions as it were because that's where most people start you know start but then underneath that there is generally a a lie that you've bought into okay about your and this is about your identity uh so the lie that i bought into was uh i i am when I produce, as it were, or I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm loved when I produce. I'm, I'm okay when I produce, but, but, a, but if you're a believer, if you're a, a Christian, you know that that that's a lie. Yeah, you know, I mean, the, Jesus Himself begins His own ministry. He hasn't done anything yet, and yet the Father says, "You're my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased." Right. So his identity as a, as a beloved son is not rooted in his in his performance, in his ministry, and what he does. So you start with those feelings because that's usually, but then you you need to back up and try to figure out what's the lie that I believed. Um, I was in a as a pastor, and later on. Uh, I was in a, in this sort of storm center of conflict in my congregation and I was getting shot at from both sides. You know, I was like in no man's land and, and I, 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 and that, what that did was it exposed this lie that I believe that I'm, I'm, I am when people uh, approve me and accept me and don't criticize me. Yeah. Okay. And I, I remember the Lord, speaking to me when I was driving back from lunch one time with a guy and he said, uh, Steve, do you know, you have my approval and love for you. And I said, Oh yeah, Lord, I know I, you know, I, 
uh, yeah, I'm. I, I was secure in His love. Uh, do, you, do you know? And and then there then there came this sort of zinger. He said, "Well, if you've got my approval, do you have to have everybody else's too?" Wow. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. But see, that exposed this lie that I believe. So, what I would say is. If I'm with you and you're t- and you're telling me you're depressed, I, I'm going to try to figure out what's what's the lie underneath that that you've bought into, and then I'm probably going to need to lead you to at that point. The next step is so I got to own that and and sort of acknowledge that actually that I've made an idol out of it. Mm-hmm. It's I it's a form of idolatry. Wow, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I'm bowing down to performance or, or or acceptance or, you know, and other things as well, you know. And so so then I've got to get this, got to help you renounce that, yeah. confess that, renounce that, and, and, and ask the Lord to set you free. Because these things, these patterns are deeply rooted in us, trust me. Yeah. yeah, they don't they don't go away quick, but we we can begin to become self aware about them and conf- and and ask the Lord to set us free, and so that's uh, if 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 that sort of is a kind of a protocol you might say or a way of kind of getting at that, you start with the emotions because that's where you use that's where you usually are, but but underneath you 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 got to get to uh, somebody called these guiding fictions. Mm. They guide our behavior, but they're they're fictions in that they're lies that we've bought into, and we've picked them up. Uh, oftentimes, we picked them up in our in our family of origin. Uh, we picked them up from our culture. Our culture tells us, you know, et cetera. And uh, but we got to get that out, and then we've and then we've got to. Uh, you know, own that, renounce it, you might say confess it, and then ask the Lord to set us free from it and through the work of his spirit, you know. And I think the process actually of sanctification uh, that that is such so near and dear to me as a Wesleyan and our whole tradition, uh, so much of my sanctification has revolved around these kinds of things, mm. you know. Uh, is the Lord uh, so that, anyway? So that's my answer. I feel like <laughs> I feel yeah. like you, you've you've just laid out like I mean this is inner healing what you're describing exactly because yeah. <laughs> that's what I so often when I'm you know praying and it's it's mostly with seminary students and pastors so yeah. you know yeah as you were talking I was like I feel like I'm listening to a combination of like. Dallas Willard, Renovation of the Heart, and and Agnes yeah. Sanford, and it's just beautiful. It's beautiful. And <clears throat> yeah, yeah, just beautiful. I I'm really grateful to hear you articulate it so methodically and simply. I mean, um, in the church where Matt is a pastor, I attend that church and we have an, a growing inner healing and deliverance ministry actually. And, um, so, you know, these are all things that 
you know, some of us have more experience than others. And the pastor who sort of leads this ministry, her name is Jordan Wilson, oh. and she's actually speaking at New Room next year. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm partly responsible for that. Oh, well, amen. Because she heard, I heard her uh, at oh, Spirit and right. last year, and I told David Thomas yeah. Uh, yeah. About her and, and and she and those two those two girls that prayed for me. I, I wish I could remember their names. Emma uh, and Jenna. Emma. Emma and, and Jenna. They were down at the Awakening Project. Yeah. Thing and uh, as a result of that, anyway, I'm just so excited that that's yeah. going to happen. But uh, yeah, and I know they were Emma and Jenna were actually telling me down at New Room that they were getting ready to go to get some training. Uh, in North Carolina, and I know Brad Long and Cindy Strickler, the folks that uh, are the, right. that ministry down yeah. there. So that's yeah. great because they do a really great job. Yeah, yeah, we all ran down there together, and and so okay. it's I I love to backtrack a little bit when you were talking about how the found the foundational theology of healing and the approach through compassion or love. Um, rather than just exclusively power, that was a really <clears throat> sort of profound revelation for me personally when I realized that I that the Lord was calling me into this type of ministry, which happened a few years ago at this point. But I, you know, as a person who approaches a lot of things very directly and head on, that can be quite overwhelming sometimes for people who are in a vulnerable place. And I think that having a revelation, a personal revelation of the father's love for you. Oh yeah. That changes everything. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think no matter how many books I've read or how many conferences I've attended or how many sort of sessions I've sat through successfully, the best ministry happened after that, after I personally realized, oh, there is literally nothing I could do to change the way the Lord feels about me. Yeah. And, you know, uh, actually John Wesley says in, in the introduction to his little a home remedy book, you know, primitive. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> he, he says the love of God is the sovereign remedy mm -hmm. for all miseries, and uh, and so actually, I uh, I put together a workshop that I did in local churches uh, called "Overcoming uh, Barriers to Receiving God's Love." Oh yeah, you know, uh, and talked about things like disappointments with God, mm -hmm. walls that we build around our hearts, because my story, uh, and, uh, and then uh, 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 basically believing the lie that we're unlovable. Mm -hmm. Because if it, so often in healing prayer ministry, you're, if you, you're trying to, you might just say, get rid of some of the scaffolding or the, or the barriers or the things it's actually keeping this person from being able to receive God's love, mm -hmm. you know, because that's the key. I mean, and that's what first John is all, uh, he says, you know, we love God because God first loved us. Mm -hmm. Right. And so uh, 
what is it that's keeping me from receiving that love? Because that's, and, and you know, that's really the thing that heals, don't you think? It's mm-hmm. just the love of God that, yeah. that, that that's profoundly healing in and of itself. Yes. Um, I'm, I, I mean, I, for me, and I know that it happens differently for different people, but for me, the experience was momentary. I mean, like it happened in a moment. Uh-huh. And yeah. it, but it was so profoundly complete in one short moment that I really felt like I had walked in to this room, one person and walked out completely yeah. different. Yeah. And, and what's so wonderful now sitting in a prayer session with someone where they feel so much doubt, if a person feels so much doubt, like, can this ever happen to me? The wonderful thing about God's love is not only that it heals you completely, and it, it gives you such a profound sense of his love for others. Oh, yeah, that you're like, no, I have complete confidence that this can be yours, that that this will happen for you, it's going to be okay. So Um, I I love Yeah, you're, you're so right. Maggie, when when the love of God uh, apprehends you, is shed abroad in your heart mm-hmm. by the Holy Spirit, as Paul says in Romans, um, it it the the Holy Spirit moves toward the other. Mm-hmm. It just it happens automatically, you know. You know, I I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but in in reading. Uh, John Wesley's famous Altersgate experience on May 24th, you know, 1738. I yeah. felt my heart strangely warmed and he taught, I felt I did trust it. He's experiencing God for him in a, in a profound way. Uh, that's why his heart was strangely warmed, you know, but it's really interesting. A lot of folks, the very next thing he says after he's described you know, I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone, an assurance was given me, you know, et cetera. But then he says, then I began to, to pray for those who had spitefully used me. Mm. Yeah. Which, and, and, you know, I think maybe he's talking about some folks in Georgia, maybe that mistreated him or something, but, but notice how he didn't, he's, he's, he's other centered all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 that actually that starts something there that doesn't really end till the next April when he starts field preaching. I mean his his whole his whole world changes because he he experiences God's love. Amen. And anyway, yeah. Well, I, I know we, we don't have too much uh, more time, so we're going to have to wrap up soon. I feel like, gosh, I would like to just talk to you all day. Uh, <laughs> I, even if we weren't releasing this podcast, I would. this conversation was a blessing to me. Um, I want to, I'm actually, I'd like to read a short excerpt of your own book to you. Okay. <laughs> oh, this is dangerous, you know. And, yeah. then, uh, and then I just like to because really it was a it's a section that's just I've gone back to over and over mm-hmm. again, again personally and then I'd just like to ask one question about for the pastor or the lay leader that's listening to this um what's what's one encouragement you would give them to start to make this shift in their life um just practically what 
what could they do to just start to try to lean in this to this direction that you're describing in your book? And let me let me just read it and then then just any thoughts you have. Uh, you said too often a person's inner ministry trying to make their achievement their work, uh, their work for God, the foundation of their ministry, rather than their acceptance and approval by God. Wanting to do something in order to be someone, they view themselves in Mike Bickle's words as loving workers instead as of as God intends, as working lovers. And then you quote Bickle. Uh, Bickle, founding uh, director of the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, maintains God wants us to be before he wants us to do something. God wants us to be lovers so that we do work. And then you said, and this is the part that just hits me every time. So Jesus asked Peter, do you love me before he commands him to feed my sheep? The order is significant. Um, so foundationally, first and foremost, we're called to be lovers and not workers, right? I mean, and, and, and that, you know, out of the flow of love, just as, you know, Maggie was saying about how you, you, it moves you when you experience God's love for you, it moves you to the other. But yeah. so that's, but that, so I think what I would say to someone, so, um, Ask the Lord, pray, and spend some time with this. It might take a couple of weeks to pray into this. Ask the Lord to show you what is it that's uh, keeping me, Lord, from, from being the kind of lover that you want me to be. Mm. You know, what is it? And... Uh, maybe some of those barriers, maybe I'm really mad at you about something, if I'm honest, you know, or maybe I've put a wall around myself, or maybe, uh, you know, uh, I maybe I'm so looking to, to my, for my identity, this in my performance, or in the acceptance of others, or except or in my church, that I really, if I, if I'm really honest, I've got to admit I really want that more than I want you, Jesus. Yeah. So I think I would just encourage people to start and pray that prayer because I think, you know, I think that's a prayer that the Holy Spirit will answer. <laughs> it, you know, you may not going to get a the light bulb, you know, revelation, but if you'll live into that, I think the Lord will reveal to you, Lord, is there anything that's keeping me? from being able to receive your love and being able to be, to, to be a lover, you know, and if I made something, you know, is there something that's keeping that? That's where I think I would encourage people to just to start uh, and, uh, and, and live into for a while. And then uh, ask them uh, to Lord, I need a fresh encounter with your love for me. Yeah. I'm a pastor, for example, and, I can preach sermons about the love of God. I can tell people they need to experience God's love. But uh, I need to become, you might just say, a child again. I need a fresh encounter with God's love for me. I think we do. I think we, we yeah. uh, you know, uh, from time to time, we need those fresh encounters with God's love. Yeah. And 
and begin to realize that's your that's my greatest need. Uh, so Lord, uh, you said it to Peter. Do you love me? I want to I want to ponder that question and ask you to, to take me deeper in your love. No. Amen. Well, Dr. Siemens, I um I just want you to know how grateful I am for your ministry and uh, for the way that you've continued to speak that message into so many. And I know you, uh, you, without knowing it, you spoke that message into my life, and I'm grateful for that. Yeah. And um, uh, I'm so excited that you're going to be at the conference uh, uh, coming up. Uh, we're we're delighted that you're going to be there. There's a lot of ministry leaders, and I think you highlighted this earlier. Right now, with COVID and just the politically charged world we're in and you know in the Methodist world with the the split yeah. that's happening all of that there's a lot of healing that's needed right now and and a lot and we need this message that you carry more than ever I think and so um just yeah thank you for for your willingness to speak that into the life of the church and I wonder if we uh before we go would you be willing to just just pray for whoever's listening today. Maybe any pastors or ministry leaders that are listening. Would you do that for us? Sure. Uh, well, th well, thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that uh, out of your great fellowship of love with one another, you seek to draw us into that circle. And... Uh, Yet so often, Lord, we push you away or we uh, are just uncomfortable even with your love for us. We don't know what to quite to do with it. I pray for my brothers and sisters who've been listening to this conversation that we've been having. And I ask Holy Spirit, you're the one who uh, loves to shed abroad love of the Father and the Son into our hearts. And so uh, would you reveal, would you draw, would you create a kind of a hunger and a thirst for the love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit uh, in the hearts of people? And uh, I believe that uh, the Lord wants someone out there to know that he wants this more for you than you, than you do. And so uh, rest in him and trust him and just ask him for a fresh encounter with God's love. We thank you for our time together in this conversation. And we give you thanks for, for your love for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 That's been our podcast for today, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next interview we record with one of our great conference speakers. And while you are subscribing to the podcast, please 
leave a review, we would be so grateful. For more information on the Spirit and Truth Conference, head over to our website, spiritandtruth.life conference. There you'll find all the information you need.